Welcome to Inside the Firm, a podcast dedicated to small business owners and hosted by entrepreneurs, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Each week, they take you on their journey of how to start, run, and grow a business by bringing you inside their architecture and real estate development firm. Get a behind-the-scenes tour of how these business leaders manage their clients and foster company culture while creating new and innovative projects. And now your host, Alex Gore and Lance Psycho. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Firm, Lance. Luxury division psycho. Do you wear that every Friday? Do you wear that every day or do you only wear it on Fridays? I literally wear it while I sleep because it's so comfortable. I don't think you were wearing it yesterday. I'm just going to say. I think you strategically plan Fridays. Lance, luxury division psycho is here. I'm Al, uh, architect builder Gore. The reason I say that is because, man, there is a shortage of everything. Labor, materials, all that. Housing. Housing. It is a good time if you want to transition to become not just an architect, but also a builder. If you want to know about that process, if you want to know about some of the pitfalls, if you want to know how to avoid some of that, if you want to know how to make sure that you extend your money supply, extend your reward, all that kind of stuff, go to architectsguide2to.com, architectsguide2.com. I love it. Uh, if you haven't used Arcat Spec Wizard before, now is the time. Spec Wizard is a patented tool that allows you to specify a product in just three steps, all for free and without even registering. Step one, research and find the right products for your project at arcat.com. Step two, use the Spec Wizard tool to select products and options. Step three, generate a complete three-part CSI or CSC specification based on your selections. That's it. Again, Spec Wizard is free to use and requires no registration. That's my favorite part about ArcCat, in addition to them being a sponsor of this show. So just head on over to ArcCat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com today and try Spec Wizard. This episode was also brought to you by Pella Luxury. Oh, look at that. Luxury division. Who knew? Uh, So experience a a collection of brands that brings your creative vision to life. The luxury division of Pella is a world-class collection of brands, including Duratherm, Riley, and Benelli, all pioneers of industry who provide window and door solutions to discerning architects, the building industry, and beyond. During this new year, we all know how important it is to step back and spend time in gratitude. We appreciate all of our clients trusting us with their projects in a record-breaking year in 2021. And now we are excited and ready to take on the new year in 2022. So please support us by supporting the luxury diversion of Pella because they don't push beyond the limits. They set them. So explore PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. That's PellaLuxury.com forward slash the firm. Just head over onto that link. Take a look at what they can do for you. Amazing windows, beautiful, beautiful windows for beautiful projects, and some of the best customer service I've ever seen from a company in my life. And I say that as somebody who has literally, who has Pella windows in their house and has had to call the service department to get things fixed. Can't express how much we love Pella enough. Al Gore. You know what? So, Lance, uh, I was wrong. What? We were wrong. Uh, you were wrong, and, and, and I want. Are you gonna send this? Are you gonna send this episode to my wife? I should personally. <laughs> Lance was wrong. I want that to be the title. The, uh, the I know you do because I. I don't know. I wish we could have an instant p- 
most. Uh, but let me tell you what we are wrong about and why. So we have said to each other multiple times, if you're over 30, you ain't changing. You are who you are. Yeah. Multiple times in private you're conversations. An, you're an adult. Yep. And hard, hard to change you. Hard, hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? And the reason we normally say this to each other is let's not fool ourselves that someone's going to be different, right? Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> we are wrong because people can change. And there's plenty of evidence of this. You know Michael Strahan, mm -hmm. basically a sack master of the Giants. And then he basically became a television talk show host. That wasn't in his repertoire. He literally had to study film, study personalities, and then make this character, right? Um, you don't know who Donald Miller is probably. Oh, yeah, you do. Story brand, author, yep, stuff like that. So people literally like five years ago would, would tell him, like his, his confidants, his, his best friends, like, you make impulsive decisions. And, and he took that in his head and was like, okay, you know, work on that, stuff like that. Literally like five years later, he was talking to someone. Someone new that like joined his team like two years ago. And he's like, yeah, you know, I know I make impulsive decisions. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're very thorough. You think things through. You do not make impulsive decisions. And then he had, he's like, holy cow, I've been having this belief. Like I, I did change. Like it took me years, but I've been putting this belief in my head that this is what I do. And, you know, he examined, he's like, oh, I don't do that anymore. I clearly do not do that. Uh, Mike Tyson was a crazy wild person. If you, he is not a, he's a laid back, non-crazy wild person. Now, um, people will become religious or become not religious. People will be on drugs and their life will be a shit show and they will turn it around. You can change political parties. Um, weight loss is a huge one. Just the whole lifestyle that comes with that. Like, yeah, you've seen transformation pictures. Absolutely. Like literally just your life is a total opposite. From the moment you get up mm -hmm. to your attitude to how you interact, right? Yeah. But this is why there's a couple of reasons why I think we thought the other way. And I think this is a good kind of conversation topic because it's New Year's, right? Sure. People send New Year's re resolutions. Oh, yeah. A lot of New Year's resolutions. Yep. yep. So I think, though, for real change, not small change. I think real change, the problem is it might take three, five, ten years. And I think people think that you're going to change in six months and you're not going to change in six months at all. Like if it's, if it's big, if it's a big thing, if it's like you're an impulsive person, yeah, you're now a leader. I'm, this is Donald Miller. I'm I just know what you're to, saying. Yep, you're not talking yep. to me. Yeah. But you're an impulsive person. You are now a leader of a corporation. You cannot be an impulsive person. Like that's just the way so did you, you say what we are wrong about. Yes. We, we literally said if you're past 30, you can't change. Oh, okay. Yep. So I thought you were going to talk about that. We changed uh, when people had time off due to New Year's. No, that is literally what I thought you were going to bring up today, which is fine. You, no. did, you didn't. Um, that, that, that's something we can talk about maybe. Okay. Um, but why we don't change. One reason is just like Donald Miller. We told that's who you are. You're impulsive. You're not going to change. Right. So like you just accept that as your life. Right. Another one is like, oh, it's not worth it to change. Like I'm impulsive. Um, but that serves me because I make decisions quick. Like that might be true. It might stop you from changing. Right. Um, and it might've been what led you to success. Like I make quiz quick decisions and stuff like that. So I, all I'm saying is like, I think me and you need to acknowledge that people can change. We can change. Other people can change. Yeah. But like, 
it's going to work something like this. Let's say, let's say, it, let's just stick with impulsive. Lance, you're impulsive. Yep. And, I, and I told you, and it's, tr- it's true. It might take you a year to realize that you need to change it. You know what I mean? It might take you because you have these narratives. Yeah, I'm impulsive. I've always been impulsive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, it serves me well. I can continue to be impulsive because yeah, well, it's gotten me to this point because I'm successful. And I'm successful, exactly. Yeah, right? I, yeah, easy defense mechanism, yeah. right? So let's say you do that. And then a year later, you finally, after like grinding and you heard it a couple of times, you're like, okay, maybe I'm at a new level. Like literally my company has leveled up. Literally, I'm just leveling up my life. Maybe I'm leveling up my relationships. You know what I mean? Because uh, we're only, thir- you know, upper 30s. We got at least till 100. You know, we got 70 years, 60 years to go. Right. Yeah. yeah. So finally it kicks in, in your head. After a year of, of people telling you that I am impulsive and, and now I actually want to go to a new level, so I will change. Well, then I think the next year in this hypothetical situation is like, oh, then you're acknowledging where you're impulsive and then you, you stop. And then you kind of muddle through that because you're like, oh, I don't want to be impulsive, but I actually need to make this decision right now. So I'll be impulsive for this one. And I won't be for this one. You're literally like a white belt, right? Or you literally like just started playing basketball. Like, sure. Oh, I kind of know how to dribble. I kind of know how to pass, you know, mm-hmm. and you go through the whole year and that might actually stop you too. Because you're like, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at like, you know, like thoroughly stepping back, having perspective. Like I literally just need to make decisions like this oh. because you're not good at it. You're just trying to dribble and you're like terrible at dribbling and other people can go through their legs and you're like, I'll never be able to dribble through my legs or anything like that. Yeah. Well then after a year, You've practiced it a bunch and now you're on this. It's the third year because the first year was just mentally like deciding that you wanted to level up. The second is, is all practice. And then the third year you're actually hitting your stride where, where someone comes with you a decision and you, you know, either you can make this decision quickly or, Hey, give me a second. I need some perspective right here. Blah, blah, blah. No big deal. The day later you give them the answer. It's it it literally saved time because it wasn't something that people had to redo, you know, sure. because of an impulsive decision. Um, and then and then all of a sudden in that third year, we're talking. There's a new hire. I go, yeah, Lance, you're too impulsive. And the new hire's like, no, he's not. He's actually thorough and thoughtful. And like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh God, yeah, yeah, that's not you anymore. You know, I think that that's why it's so hard. Is because people think if I tell you that you're impulsive that you're going to change in two months or six months, things like that. You might not even recognize it until six months after the first six months. Sure. Don't, don't you think he, so I guess the only thing I have is a question really. Uh, so did all of this stuff, this didn't come from Mike Donald Miller, right? Like it is hard. We don't change because we are told who we are. It is not worth it to change. It might've made you successful. None of that came from him. This that is just, my thoughts. Okay. Then perfect. <clears throat> That's perfect. Oh, why do you think, uh, what do you, I think you're missing one big point and I just want to know, like, how do you, how do you think people, if people are listening to this and they're, um, hesitant to change for better or for worse, whatever, uh, how do you convince somebody it's okay to be wrong and to go, holy cow, I was wrong. Wow. Was I wrong? I, I, I've, I've read all these books and 
for and uh, about listen to whatever, my friends whatever subject I, I i lift listen to this certain set of news i you know etc I, I even observe things and anecdotally in my life and everything seemed to point me in one direction and then all of a sudden um I, I did something and was promised something based on all of that, and it didn't turn out to be true. And, and people people who I disagreed with the whole time uh, about everything that I thought was exactly right actually ended up being tr- being right. How do you how do you not dig your how do you what are the mechanisms you you should be working on or or try to even do to not dig your heels in and go well I was wrong and therefore I'm going to make a change because. And then, and then, if it's you make that change, then it's all of a sudden like I would think, and this is this happens to a lot of people. Then there's this cascade of, well, what else was I wrong about? And then all of a sudden they wake up. Right. Yeah. I think it's a great question. I'll give you one answer, and then and then I want to throw it back to you. And so I want you to think about it too. But I think we need to change our mindset from, I was right. You know, I'm right or I'm wrong. Like I like. I literally said the the segment is we were wrong. Like, I think that that needs to go away and people need to realize, hey, when did you stop growing and learning? Like, when did you stop? Was it was it literally high school? Like, literally, you, you have kids. I have kids, right? <laughs> you you actually know this more than, than my little tiny kids. Okay. <clears throat> They're doing some wrong stuff. They're doing some wrong stuff. And... That happens. I, I, I know you like I know you did some stupid stuff. I know I did some stupid stuff at eighteen, right? Yeah. Oh, oh. At twenty two I did less stupid stuff. At twenty five I did less stupid stuff. At the like but I think people think, Oh, I'm eighteen, I'm adult now. And then I'm thirty. This is the way I am. No, 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 no. I think you are continuing to level up and it, it's not right or wrong. It's literally growing. Like, has this firm stopped growing? Ha- do we operate differently than we did five years ago? Yes. Were we wrong? You could say we were wrong because we we're doing it differently. Like, no, no, we're just growing, getting input, changing, adjusting, refining. Like, I think you need to look at it like this. Like, oh, I'm refining myself. I'm refining myself into a better person. And it's very hard. And, and I don't think a lot of people do it. I don't think that a lot of people do it. And that's why we thought before, if you're over 30, you're the way that you are. Where, I mean, the weight loss, the drug changes, the political or religious change. I mean, these are huge shifts in people's, the way they think, the way they act. It's huge. It happens. It's true. I think people need to understand that you should be refining. You should be growing. Maybe that's the word. It's not about right or wrong. It's growing. Are you growing or are you not growing? Okay. But how do you, so let's, let's say you were found to be completely just hypothetically speaking, hypothetical. Okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, tomorrow you wake up, and um, we find out that actually, oh, actually, uh, we don't revolve around the sun. So it's a, it's a giant chain. Oh, okay, sure, something huge. What what is the coping mechanism? Because I feel like there's a coping mechanism that needs to be in place for people hmm. to, and maybe it's this. Maybe it's just as simple as this: is you're listening to Al say it's okay to be wrong. And you're listening to me say it's okay to be wrong, and so you're not alone if you're if you're wrong. Is it that simple? Is it just like don't worry, it's okay to be wrong? I think so, and I think the second thing, for some reason, Lance, there's this stigma of 
like you say, being wrong or trying something new and failing at it. And all of a sudden, like, you're bad. You know what I mean? Like, you're bad. There's this false stigma. False stigma. <laughs> yeah. False stigma. Um, so, like, I think you need to switch it in your mind that, you know what? Let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. Other people, other people are going to gloat and say, look, I was right. Yeah. I told Lance he was impulsive. Yeah. And, and, and now he's admitting it. I knew it all along. I, I have an eagle leg up, right? Here's the elephant in the room. <clears throat> Let's say you never acknowledge that, right? I, I don't think you're impulsive, by the way, but this is Donald Mill, but it's easier to talk this way. Maybe you are. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. Okay. Um, let's, say, let's say I say that to you. Yeah. And you don't acknowledge it and yeah. you don't change. Okay. And you are impulsive. Okay. In, yeah. I'm, I'm still right. And all of a sudden you limited your growth. You limited your growth. Yeah. You limited how you can lead, how you can influence. You limited your relationships because you wanted to save your ego. So now the choice becomes like, oh, you could, you could do it in, in, in two different ways. You could say like, oh, hey, thanks. Al. Al's my best friend. He let me know. Um, he's trying to help me. I'm, I'm going to change. I know it's going to take a long yeah. time. It's going to be rough, blah, blah, blah. Or if it's the other opposite way and I'm not a friend and stuff like that, like, oh, well, screw him. Okay, maybe he's right. I just changed. I just became better. I became a better leader. I have better relationships. I have all because I was able to take that in and actually do it. Like speaking of, of your son thing, like you could fight that son thing or you could say, oh, physics works a different way and we don't resolve and around that way. And all of a sudden that changes physics. And all of a sudden now we can do something cooler with spaceships because the whole way physics is, is, is different. Like, or, or you could be stuck in the same paradigm just to be right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. okay. So you didn't admit it to hold your ego, but you're holding yourself down. I think this is the biggest problem with society right now is that, is that, uh, we, we are, we are polarized politically and the, and no one can admit that they were wrong. Yep. Because then they, I don't know if they think it's they showing a sign of weak. I think it's a sign of strength. When, especially when you publicly do it and you say, hey, I was wrong. I was dead wrong about this. The other thing I think is, I think that would be helpful just to, if people to avoid uh, getting stuck and entrenched in taking a stance on something is like with, with Twitter and Facebook and uh, all of the other social media platforms in, involved, we have this instant judgmental culture. We have this instant um, uh, take culture. In other words, uh, like I got to give my take. I got to give my opinion. Instant opinion culture. One of the things I try to do when like, let's say there's a, a big political event that happens. Um, I actually try to give it at least 24 to 48 hours before I decide what's, what, what is real and what is not. And what I look at is I look at two things. I look at what is the corporate media telling me? And then I look at what are the people who typically rail against the corporate media telling me? And then I try to make up my mind from there. And it's, um, I, I'm not going to sit down here and say the, the corporate media is right most of the time because they're not. But I think the truth is somewhere, it's somewhere like in that journey is where, where you find it. Um, those two things would help society a lot. And it would be really nice if we got back to that uh, arena. It's either that or just put your head in the sand, which is not helpful. Yeah, I, I think if, if you don't, if you think that you're right, you're going to, this goes, 
not just changing yourself, but like how you operate, you're just going to get confirmation bias, right? You're just going to get confirmation bias if you don't do what you were talking about. And then all of a sudden, all you're doing is leading people who already agree with you further away from everyone else. And to be fair to everybody who's listening, like the truth is very hard to find right now. I think it takes a long, long time for, for like sometimes years after you see all of these headlines for the truth to finally come out. And then the problem, then that problem that I see happening often is then once the truth comes out, like it, it kind of gets acknowledged for like a day and then it gets buried. So just to have some empathy with everybody, like yeah, figuring out, figuring out what, what, what the right stance is on something. It's, it's, it's not so much about that. It's just about trying to, trying to uncover the truth in all the craziness. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of the truth, one thing I wanted to... Uh, does that... I think you had a really good question. Does does that kind of button up the coping mechanism? Is that you literally have to look at it like, am I going to limit myself yes. for my ego or am I going yeah. to grow above it? And the example I will give you is when Alex and I... the One of the very first projects I think that we tried to team up on together in college, um, Alex uh, hit me with a pretty sharp tongue... And I probably will never forget it and said like um, something to the tune of it's uh, uh, something like you're going to limit yourself if you if you don't acknowledge that not all of your ideas are right. And when using that word limit is Mm. very important to me because especially at that point in time, because it was I think it was like second year, it's their third year of architecture studio. And uh, I think most most budding architects suck uh, at that point, right? You haven't had the 10,000 hours of practice yet. And it was like, well, I know my personal goal is, my personal goal at NDSU Architecture was to be literally the best, literally the best of the, of the graduating class. And I was like, well, if this guy who I respect, his opinion, and all of a sudden I'm shooting it down just because I want to be right, because of my ego, is limiting myself, then I'm, I'm literally shooting myself in the foot. That's literally the the perfect example because everyone knows that you should be way. College was ten fifteen years ago. It, if you didn't if you didn't grow in ten fifteen years for your ego, like you just you literally just shot yourself into the foot. Like and you're always, it be, because because everyone back then, like that's what we're talking about is that st- don't stop growing, people. Do not stop growing because in fifteen years from now, you might be like. Man, if I would have just only thought my own ways and, and and only just put blinders on and just nail like, I would be half as you'd be in the same position. Bingo, <laughs> bingo. Uh, so speaking of of trying to uncover the truth, uh, one thing that uh, so we've been in operation here on the Colorado Front Range for over ten years now, and through that ten years, we have seen many wildfires occur. So if you are have been watching the news, you saw that Boulder County. Uh, made national headlines, and we had over a, over a thousand homes. It's like a thousand seventy eight now. I don't know if you know that. Uh, just completely destroyed. Yep. In um, Boulder County, Long, uh, Louisville, Superior, th- those kind of uh, towns is where is where it occurred. Uh, one of our employees actually was affected. His house did not burn down, but it was very close, very scary. My son um, and his mother, same thing, very close, very scary. Actually, when I called my son over the like the day after, when, when it occurred, um, he, he was literally screaming on the phone, swear words, and I didn't, I wasn't mad at him because I was like, yeah, there's a fire. <laughs> and he was like, holy F, you know, there's a 
There's a there's the flames are right here, so like they got out of there. Anyway, one one thing I've always wondered, and that Al has too, is is <clears throat> we've never really seen any inquiries come after a fire like that. And I think it's completely normal and human for you to start thinking about like as a as a business owner and somebody who performs building services, architectural design services, engineering services, or even the realtors about like wh- how what is going to happen to these folks. And then my biggest question has always been, are they going to rebuild? So what I did and what I want to unpack, and I'm going to hit record on the uh, on the old computer here um, for anybody who is uh, watching uh, on YouTube, is that um, I've always wanted to unpack and see if people actually, gosh darn it, i got to shut down the recorder, exit, there we go, turn it back on is if people actually rebuild. Like, are, is there been any studies to say if people rebuild? Um, I will I will tell the audience that surprisingly, we actually got a call from somebody who does want to rebuild on their um, property. But it's, it's tricky. Um, and the circumstances, and as the circumstances play out, and if we end up winning over this client, I will happily keep people op- um, abreast without giving out names of like, why this particular person built versus maybe who is not going to in the future. Um, Because there's a lot of moving parts and the government's involved and and there might be these buyouts and stuff like that, right? I don't know. But pulled up three articles because I looked up, I think I just, I I was just like searching on the internet last night, trying to get ahead of today's episode of do people rebuild after forest fires? So I found three articles and they relate and they're they're from one's from 2019, one's from 2020, and one is from 2021. So if you're if you're looking on YouTube right now, the first one's from NPR and it's titled The Campfire Destroyed 11,000 Homes. Um, and I'm actually going to That's gonna, a lot. That's a lot of homes. So this was the biggest fire in um, if anybody forgets about this, this was the biggest fire technically in the United in the United States as it pertains to um, like a loss of uh, capital and, and properties, right? I think that one was started too. It, it, yes, this was an arson fire. <laughs> so that's why it's called the the campfire um, destroyed. So, so basically, this was in Paradise, California, right? And without getting into the nitty gritty details of uh, exactly, you know, reading through the article and stuff like that, I wanted to I wanted to break down um, the numbers, right? So at one point, the fire displaced from the article close to 50,000 people. The campfire was estimated to be the most expensive natural disaster in the world last year. Excuse me. Uh, just removing toxic debris almost cost $2 billion. Um, the federal government is paying for about three quarters, including $200 million in direct aid to victims. So that's what I'm saying. Even Boulder County, we are hearing through the grapevines there's going to be some mass intervention going on. So what that translated to was, going on further in the article, was in Paradise, more than 11,000 ho- houses burned to the ground. So basically 11 times the destruction we just saw yeah. in Boulder County, right? Here's the critical part. A year later, so from 2019, or from 2018 to 2019 when this article was written, only 11 had been built. Yep. So I'm writing this down because you'll see a trend as I go through these articles, right? Can I read a, a, a line? Yeah. So 11 out of 11,000 have been rebuilt, were rebuilt within one year. Go ahead, Al. <clears throat> Jones said, this is the mayor, those few who are rebuilding consider themselves pioneers. And I don't want to overstretch an analogy, but I almost think it, it, it's one way you could think about yourself about if you're wrong and you have to rebuild a personality or something like that. Like... 
are you strong enough to rebuild or not? Yep. One more line from this article, and then we'll jump to the next one so I can start breaking down these numbers for everybody. Because this is a question I think all architects, especially in the Western United States who listen to us, you know, you probably have this question is like, is it worth it for me to market to these folks? Like, like, is this actually going to increase business? And no, it is not predatory. I'm, I'm just saying this is a natural reaction to think about this stuff. Paradise, uh, so paradise is a shell of what it was. The population went from 26,000 to an estimated 3,000 today. So there's also that population number. So a second article I found, and I apologize if you're looking on the screen here, it doesn't have any photos. I actually had to put my laptop in airplane mode in order to read this article. It's from the San Francisco Chronicle. It's titled, People Are Soul Tired. Soul, S-U-L. Two years after the campfire destroyed paradise, only a mm. fraction of the homes have been rebuilt. So this is this is title. This is a, this article came out in 2020, so one year later from NPRs. Um, and, and looking through it, basically, they do get down to the numbers here. Um, their, their numbers are a little off too, right? Um, they they they're right on with NPR where they're saying 19,000 structures, including 14,000 homes, were destroyed. So you know, but. The ratio you'll see is a little different, right? So now, <clears throat> let's just use the 11,000 number as the base point, too, and just say that NPR is 100% right. In this article from the San Francisco Chronicle, they go on to say, as of this week, 440 single-family homes and 70 units in multifamily buildings have been rebuilt. Only a fraction of what was lost. Members of roughly 500 households are living in RVs and an estimated 5,000 people now live in paradise. So they went from 3,000 people living up to 5,000, obviously more people are moving back. But let's just write this down. At the two-year, hmm. um, there was, what did I say, 400? 440. 440 divided by, let's again, just let's just use 11,000 so we have a common denominator. Yep. Uh, so we've increased. Um, what percent is that, Al? 440? That's 4,000% or something like that? Yeah. But it's going to be yeah, like... Yeah, 4,000%. One out of, one out of the thirty, something like that. Yep, yep. That's another way to think about it. Okay, moving ahead in the timeline. Now we're on to three years. Three years. Yep. Interesting. So, so this article, right? It was pretty cool. I could find these actually. Yeah. So this article's from um, uh, Chicoer.com, something like that. On the rise. The title is "On the Rise: Three Years After the Fire, the Rebuild Continues." Um, so you know they they give you a description of that again. Um, and then moving on through the article here, that they end up giving us some numbers about about wh- how much is has rebuilt, right? So this one is saying <clears throat> that uh, now the population growth three years three years later is up from I think I just said five thousand. Now it's up to six thousand. So people are still moving back, right? Um, and then as of today, now from the article, so quote: It is in, it is encouraging to see the number of certificates of occupancy increasing weekly. Solasek said uh it seemed quote it seems like yesterday that we were celebrating 500 and then 1000 as of today so this would be 2021 uh as of today we are at 1083 single family homes rebuilt and 220 multifamily i'm only using the single family yep as the metric here um j- so the, just they, to keep yeah. things clean they're close to 10 percent. so now they're close to 10 percent after three years so what that means, <laughs> if, you, if we just say that within three years, you're going to have 10% basically built, yep. right? If we have 1,000 houses 
round number that burnt down in Boulder County, only in three years are you going to have um, a hundred, a hundred that get rebuilt. Yeah. Honestly, what do you think about that ratio? The, this is what I think happened. I think the first year people are, I mean, you have to move out, you have to set up in a new place. All of a sudden you do that. And then now you have to decide what you're going to do. Who knows how long that takes and maybe start the process. Year two, you get the plans, you go into the building department, year three, you're building like, obviously some people are faster than that, but like, um, it makes sense. It makes sense to yeah. me. So I wanted to bring that up just, just again, there's a lot of folks that, uh, even if you're on like, let's say you're on the East coast and there's a hurricane, I'm, I'm interested to know like, okay, it destroys a neighborhood. Are the numbers sort of the same where you only have in the first year, let's just call it 1% gets rebuilt. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the next year, 5% of the total. And then the next year, uh, 10%. 10%. So you're only increasing by about 4% on top of the other percentage increase every year. But next year, it might not be, you might not build only 1,000, you might build 2,000. So now you're at 3,000 total. So now you have almost yeah. a third of the neighborhood. Um, two things to think about that. One, if, if you don't want to be living in a constant construction zone, you might stagger a little bit and not start the process until year two. And another thing too is like, um, I think people should realize, and I don't think an immediate decision is going to be made. I don't think fire burns down. People are calling architects. Some pioneers are a couple pioneers are calling six months, eight months, a year and a half might be when the majority of people are like, okay, now I'll come back now, you know, and for everything's figured out. And if there's any people that were affected by this fire, who are listening to this today, I just want to give you some free advice. And the free advice is, please do not buy plans online. Um, when What I find is what happens is when people buy, buy plans online, you are, you are I get these calls maybe once every two weeks, something like that. And the homeowner calls me and they say, well, we went to the building department and they, they, actually, they actually need a local architect to do this. And I go, okay, how, how, what did you buy exactly? And then they, sometimes they buy the whole thing. And I go, okay. And by the whole thing, that means they've got a PDF and they got a CAD file. What I end up telling them and what they end up telling, confessing to me, is that <clears throat> they've already talked to other architects and engineers and they're hoping that we would be different in that we could just kind of mark up the drawing, stamp it and be done. And I go, nope, that's not the way it works ethically. Ethically and, and, and literally for my own um, peace of mind, professionally, we have to basically take ownership of the drawings. What do I mean by that? Like we're basically going to have to recreate them in our software and truly understand the design so that we can actually end up, you know, stamp, putting our uh, metaphorical stamp on it, right? Not even our literal stamp, just our metaphorical one. Uh, so... If you find a house, if you, the, the true, the actual literal advice then is if you find a house online that you like, just bookmark it and then go talk to an, talk to an architect and don't buy, don't spend any money. That's the best path forward because no matter what the building department is going to come in and they're going to say, and he's a local architect, they got to, you got to do all the engineering and to be fair to the architects, I guarantee you're going to have some changes. I guarantee that plan you see online is not going to be the one that is perfectly 
exactly how you want it. And you might fool, you might be trying to fool yourself and even the architect into thinking that's what it's going to be because you're trying to save some money with the architect services. There, it, there's always changes, which is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Um, I just have one question. I know it doesn't really fit in. Oh, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll just interject this quickly. When, when you were told how early to show up to a meeting or an interview, how long were you told to get there? 15 early? minutes. Okay. I was told 10 minutes. Um, 15 minutes is, is probably a fine answer too. I want to tell everyone, do not do that. That is Whoa. way too early. That is way too early because what you do even like, so we have uh, a space where people can come and sit, but you literally are now putting pressure on those people that you have the meeting to either hurry up or come entertain you or something like that. If you show up 10 minutes early, there sit could, in your car yes. until two minutes before. I'm serious. Like, I'm why are you. you showing up 10 minutes early? What are you doing? Sit in your car. Maybe go walk. Make sure you know where the front door is and all that, and then go back into your car. You just need to show up two minutes before. Yeah. Not I agree minutes. with you. That's great. That's a good point. So Side rant done. Side rant done. Okay. Big rant, Lance. On to the big rant. And this should blow everybody's mind, I think. <laughs> If you have been a longtime listener of this show, especially over the last year, you've probably heard Lance LARP on about 40% of all the U.S. dollars in existence being printed in 12 months. Guess what? That number has changed, Al. Ah. Are you surprised? 50%. 50%. He says 50%. If you're watching on YouTube, you probably see my screen right now. And actually, it is 80% of all U.S. dollars in existence were printed in the last 22 months. Wow. From four trillion in January twenty twenty to twenty trillion in October twenty one. Mind you, the basic the debt, if you go to if you go to debt clock dot I think it's debtclock.org or debtclock.com. Let me look real quick. Uh debt US debtclock.org. Uh the US national debt is thirty trillion. 29 trillion if you want it. but i'm rounding up right why not why not well, by the time we're done with this podcast yeah. it'll probably be 30 trillion right <laughs> so this article came out from the same um entity that wrote it before and they just basically updated it, it was posted on december 18th 2021 so it's still recent but it only became news to me because i saw it on somebody else's social media post and i was like wait a minute is that true and they and it was they, they put it in meme form so it was like come on are you just making this up and then they gave me the art link to the article, and I have just been shook because of it for the past 24 hours. So you have been right. I can't quit talking about. It. So 80. So again, so this is techstartups.com, and it's a short article. So I would like to go through it. So basically, last year, uh, this is from the article. Last year, we wrote a piece titled "40% of U.S. Dollars in Existence Were Printed in the Last 12 Months." One of our most popular articles on January 6, 2020, the U.S. Federal Reserve had around four trillion dollars. However, a lot has changed since then. The Fed has accelerated its quantitative easing. Printing money. Sorry. Widely referred to as <laughs> printing money to increase the liquidity of U.S. banks and inject trillions of dollars into the economy. The Fed's addiction to money printing has kept the party going for Wall Street of fueling inequality. Today, the stock market and cryptocurrency are at record highs, while income and wages remain almost the same. The Federal Reserve continues to print more money, further devaluing the dollars and enslaving millions of Americans. Now, a little over a year after our last piece, the Federal Reserve has 
updated the number. Sadly, it's no longer 40% of the U.S. dollars that were printed since 2020, not 50% as Al Gore predicted, and not even 70% since January 2020. The U.S. has printed nearly 80% of U.S. dollars in existence. Are, are you so blown away because, like, do you think about it like, okay, whenever they started printing money in 1870, whatever, whoever, whoever knows when it was, okay, the next year they printed money, the next year printed money, and the next year printed money. They probably only present, printed, like, 1% to 3% of the money supply every year. And then, like, in 1940s, they printed literally, like, $4 billion, and then $5 billion the next year, and then six. And then in the last two years, they're, like, all of that. Yes, that's why. All it, of it, that it, in the last two years. All of that. Yeah. It, whether you're listening terrestrially and maybe pulled over on the side of the road because you're shocked and you're looking at this article. <laughs> is that, is that you or, or you're watching on YouTube. What Al described verbally is in a chart. And that's why I'm so blown away by it. It's because when you look at the chart that oh. they give, and I think that's what gets missed in this headline because everybody's so shocked when they see it is Alex is look up at the TV screen looking at it right now behind the camera there. And that's what's so creepy about it is <clears throat> the way it shoots up at the end here is alarming. It's very alarming. And if you know anything about... there, there's I can't remember what kind of economics um, term they put on this, but when you see these hockey curves, it's usually, the sig- it's usually like the last um, death... Throws. Throws, yes, that's exactly it, of something. Right of some kind of thing doesn't yep. matter what it is could yep. be could be the virus could you know infection rates it could be like that's the last death throws and then it all comes down you know what I'm saying well are you getting at too like when you see these you think about you, I mean you could say Weimar Germany but you could also say the tulip nonsense tulip um uh, God what was it A Beanie Babies yep right um, Bitcoin bit eh, eh, baby who knows um. <laughs> But here, so God, what would it, it's kind of like, I don't have a good analogy, but like, if you relate it to anything, like, oh man, I I don't even know what to relate it to. But like, what, this is why I think you're freaked out is that, what does that mean? Like, because it freaks me out because there has to be a consequence. I mean, I know we live in an insane world where it seems like, or a reaction, Equal and opposite reaction. There you go. It just it's it's the physics of it that freaked me out. Exactly. It's yep. the physics of it. Yeah. Yep. And you can't deny physics because that is we still agree on this in far as objective reality that like equal and opposite reactions. Yep. How occur? Common yep. physics. And, and, and here's what we go to. This is going to sound absurd, right? But you, I have to do absurdity to make a point. <clears throat> okay. You give. Let's just give everyone a million dollars. Like I would, if you gave me a million dollars, that'd be great. Gave you a million dollars. He already knows what he he already knows what he would do with it, and I do too. Yep. Okay. But we're we're gonna do that to everyone. Okay. So everyone working at McDonald's, at the bank, at wherever, now says, "I have a million dollars. I'm gonna quit." Then they go out and they're like, "Hey, I want some McDonald's." And literally, this might take six months or four months or maybe even two weeks if you gave everyone a million dollars. Oh, for someone to work at McDonald's, yeah. Pay me a thousand dollars an hour. Then I'll come work at McDonald's. If you don't pay me a thousand dollars an hour, I ain't gonna come work. I already got a million dollars. Okay. So now your nuggets cost a thousand dollars. Like is that is that the reaction that, that that's gonna happen? And then it's like 
what is even happening here? What is even happening? Yeah. What is even happening? And, and, and here, here's why. Okay. Some people might think like, that's not too big of a deal. Everything is going up in price 20%, 30%. If you own assets, your assets become cheaper in the broad scheme of things. I think this is a scary part is that everyone was operating under rules of, of how the economy works, right? A, suppo- that, a supposed level flank playing field. Yep. Yeah. Now when you do that, you just go, why can't the government just print money for this, print money for and this? And why print, should they tax the, me? Yep. Why should they tax them? <laughs> but they literally like, oh, we're just going to print. Let's just use space because I talk about it all the time. We're it's, just going to print a trillion dollars. Um, and then all of a sudden we can have all this space stuff. And then Boeing goes like, yeah, this is just fake money. It detaches like, us from reality. Exactly. So is, so is the reaction going to be a reaction back to reality? And we'll get into what that is going to be at, at the end of the article here, but, I think. Well, this is what I think. This is what I think I went over. Were you there when I went on this rant? We went through the recession, right? And it confused me because it was a bank recession and everyone in my firm was competent. Everyone in your firm was competent. You knew how to draw buildings. You knew how to make buildings. You were willing to draw buildings yes. and make buildings. Everyone else was willing to like do whatever work. And all of a sudden the economy all crashed. It's like, man. What did I do? What? You went and got other work. No, 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 no. I meant that. It- yeah. What did I do? Yep, yep. That was the thought, right? What did I do? But also like everyone is here like ready and willing to work yeah. and continue to do things and fine, generally fine with, with society and, and, and all that yeah. and the arrangement. Now you have this. <clears throat> it breaks the system somehow. Just like all their funny money in 2008 broke the system. I think there's a difference now. And the difference now is <clears throat> a whole bunch of baby boomers are retiring. And I'm sorry about this, baby boomers are about, about to say, but you guys have been in power for a long time and kind of let this happen. So, like, <laughs> you're kind of screwing things up. Yeah. But to, to, to be generous, man, there's a lot of institutional knowledge in baby boomers. There's a lot of institutional knowledge. Every time you have a problem with the planning department or the building department, you just have to go up to the chain to the guy on top and be like, these... I mean, we're technically millennials maybe or Xers like these stupid millennials and Xers. You don't say it like this are literally making us do stupid stuff. That makes no sense. And they're like, yeah, that makes no sense. Like, yeah, let's like they can cut through stuff. All of them are retiring. A lot of people don't believe in capitalism, in fair trade. A lot of some capital like pharma, which people are now believing are great, have been screwing people over for years. Yeah. Like the problem is when you look at society and you look at how things are run, like everything you can see problems in in it right now. So all of a sudden this this big reset happens like in 13 in 2008. But in 2008 people were like, "What? Everything's kind of generally fine. Like we we understand how the system goes." I think the system could break. Not just the money. Only the money broke last time. Only the money broke. Well, and, and, and a couple and some morals. I think now if it yeah, does... Yeah, the money literally broke. It froze up. Yeah, keep yep. going. I think now if the money breaks, <clears throat> I think baby boomers retire even more. I think uh, yeah, the supply why? chain gets messed up even more. Yeah. I think... Um, I think they break the rules even more and then they just pay people to stay at home. Yeah. I think that compounds on itself. I think I think a lot of things like it's, happen it, badly. Exactly. Basically, it, it's just it's already this gummed up system. So now the result is going to be kind of a siege, a seizing. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of like when you can't get a nut off of a bolt because you didn't put anti-seize liquid 
on there before you tightened it. Yep. Yeah. And also, I think the reaction is, hey, they broke all the rules. Why can't I? They broke all the rules. Yeah. And I, I don't even mean in like like violence or anything like that. I mean on a, on a deeper philosophical level of, oh, there's no rules now. There's I know no what you man. mean. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the article. To understand the magnitude of the Fed's printing money, we need to go back 22 months ago. At the start of 2020, there was $4.0192 trillion in circulation on January 4th, 2021. The number increased to $6.7 trillion. Then the Fed went into overdrive by October 2021. The number climbed to $20.0831 trillion in circulation. What stuttered as an emergency policy to shield the economy from COVID-19 from the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 has led to further devaluation of US dollars since March 2015-2020. The Federal Research buys 80 billion in treasuries and 40 billion in housing-backed securities each month, pushing the Fed's balance sheet to 8.66 trillion as of December 2021. One thing that one of my employees and a couple other friends also brought up too is right away is they, and you might even be thinking of this too, listener that I'm speaking to is that, oh, how much, how much of the spending bills passed through Congress had to do with this? None. That's what's really scary about it is because again, to go back to what they say in the, what they're saying in the article, which is true is basically <clears throat> they're just buying, they're buying treasuries. They're buying their own treasuries that they're issuing. To just keep the liquid going so that we don't seize up. Hmm. That's why that's why this debt is really scary because it has actually has nothing to do with technical government spending through the bills. Yeah. However, Fed's asset and bond purchases are just uh, are just is of the ways of the Fed, Fed ways the Federal Research uh, injects billions trillions. Oh, reserve, reserve. Sorry, the Federal Reserve injects trillions into the economy. In addition, the U.S. government also issued stimulus checks to millions of employed Americans. Where did that money come from? The government had to borrow by selling its debt in the form of U.S. Treasury bonds and other types of securities. Then after the bonds were sold, the Federal Reserve gets to work and starts printing money. So that's how they are literally making the money out of thin air. Do you understand that? Like, they're making two forms of paper. One is money and one is Treasury bonds out of thin air. Yeah. And selling them to each other. It'd be, it'd be, Alex and I, if, if people believed... If people believe that Alex and Lance could make money and they believed and they could use it to trade with people, like we could literally do this. Does that uh, make sense? Well, yeah, making some of these coins. But the only thing is that some of these coins pretend like they're actually doing work. <laughs> yeah. Moving ahead um, to kind of the last part. Uh, Alex did bring this up. Is, is the Federal Reserve repeating the same mistakes of 1921 Weimar Germany? So if history is any guide, what the Federal Reserve is doing now has been taught, tried throughout history as the Federal Reserve continues to print trillions of dollars out of thin air with no productivity to back it up. At some point down the road, the world will finally lose faith in the U.S. dollar as a global currency and conclude that it no longer makes sense to store their wealth in U.S. dollars. Today, the Federal Reserve appears, appears to be following in the footsteps of 1923 Germany's Weimar Republic shortly after World War I. The country has often been cited as a classic unending money printing. Between 1921 and November 1923, the highest monthly inflation rate rose by over 30,000% in Weimar, Germany. It all started in 1921 when Germany started stopped backing its currency with gold, just like we did in 1971. 
Uh, that was me, not the article. And instead fired up its money printing machine, similar to what the Federal Reserve is doing today in order to finance the war. Then the money printing machines continued printing after the war to help pay for reparations imposed upon Germany by its allies. In closing, uh, then there's a video you'll see at the end that I highly recommend everybody uh, watch because it, it shows what happened in 1971, which is exactly what happened in 1921 with Germany. And here we are. So what does this, what does this mean for you? I, I think... <coughs> You need to prepare yourself for some sort of reaction to yeah. this. And you've heard our theories. It's up to you to make up your own decision. I'm just here to report on this and continue reporting on this kind of level of printing because it affects you in every single way. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to skip Nick Reed's because I got to leave in about six minutes or so. We're uh, skipping Nick Reed's? Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Don't worry, Nick. We'll do it next week. And we're skipping some other articles that we were going to go over, but that's okay. We can handle that next period. Yep. Go ahead. Are so you look, Jeopardy? We'll bring down the crew. All right. Question number one. Uh, mechanical screams, according to the IBC, can exceed the maximum height of a building, right? But the screens themselves are not to exceed how many feet? Does that question make sense? Cool. Is it A, six feet, four, B, four feet, C, 12 feet, or D, 18 feet? This is going to be a pure guess. I understand that. And I asked the question because I didn't even know this is a rule. So it's more to know that this is a rule than to know the actual answer. Okay. C, C, C. Good guess. Um, it is 18. It is D, not C. <laughs> Uh, I thought that that was crazy. 18 feet seems really, really high. Uh, if you are type one construction, you can go as high as you want though. Caveat. You can do whatever you want, type one. Question two. This is a good one to know too. Um, roofs that are less than what slope must be analyzed to determine if ponding will result in the progressive deformation of roof members. Okay. Is that slope A, less than a quarter inch to a foot, B, an eighth inch, C, 3%, D, three quarters inch. So at what slope do you then need to analyze the structure? All right, D, A, A, mm. A, a quarter inch. So if you are at a quarter inch, you don't have to. If you're below it, you're supposed to analyze the structure to see if ponding will now def deform your structure. All right, number three, what method doesn't preserve features on a site? A, minimizing disturbance of terrain. B, evaluating condition of existing features. C, repairing or replacing site fixtures. Or D, taking note of existing site features. Do we need? Okay. What method doesn't preserve features on a site? A, minimizing disturbance of terrain. B, evaluating condition of existing features. C, repairing or replacing site features. D, taking note of existing site features. What do we got? Uh, we got D, C, B. The correct answer is D, taking note of existing site fixtures. Because all you're doing is taking note. There's no action. What was D? Evaluating condition of, of existing site features. That's evaluating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, note versus evaluation 
I think is way different because you'd just be like, oh, there's a tower, but then this other one would be like, oh, there's a tower, but it's in it needs it's in need of repair. Just making it up. Uh, what do we got for zero goose egg two one? All right, all right. Mr. Jason's in the lead. In the context of architectural design, the, the, the delivery of water and the elimination of waste water, waste via water handling systems is part of which type of architectural service? I'll repeat that. It was convoluted. In the context of architectural design, the delivery of water and the elimination of waste via water handling systems is part of which type of architectural service? A, this is not the architect's scope. B, the architect's scope of basic services. C, the architect's scope of extra services. D, the MEP's scope. I can't believe... I, I would not get this right. There's your hand. Taking away his license. Yep. D, <laughs> D, A, B. The correct answer is B. Who got B? Katie? Awesome. So now it's a tie. Right. Tiebreaker. Good guess, Katie. I mean, right. you knew that the whole time. <laughs> it is... Uh, the yeah. architecture scope of basic service. So it's technically in your services, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Cause you're just showing like toilets and stuff. I don't get it. it your license is removed. Yeah, mine, mine's gone now. All right, tiebreaker. A building's plumbing system typically contains check valves, globe valves, gate valves, and angle valves to control water flow. Which of these would be most appropriate to use somewhere water flow needs to be completely shut off for maintenance? Got it. Gate valve. A gate valve was the answer. There we go. Gate valve. Good job, Katie. Uh, she will pick where we're eating, but I got to head out. So Lance, take us out. Uh, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend, a colleague, your mom, someone. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, smash that like button, and we will see you next week.